Welcome to Cooking the Books, the food and hospitality podcast discussing all aspects of the industry. We interview chefs, butchers, farmers, brewers, winemakers, restaurateurs, restaurant managers, and we talk about how they got to this point through the good times and the bad. We discuss what motivates them every day and what they've got planned for the future. This is Cooking the Books. This week on Cooking the Books, we have Sean Hurrell, the creator of Barrio Comida, the Mexican pop-up, soon to have a fixed premises in Durham, England. Sean talks about how he set up his business through his pop-up, as well as how a fried egg changed his view on cooking, and the internal fight he has between excellence and consistency. Bit of a disclaimer on this podcast, it was a phone interview between England and Australia, but the audio is still pretty good, so I hope you enjoy it. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by City Ladder, the charcuterie specialists specialising in terrines, pâtés and rillettes for retail and on-premise. Now, over to the show. Thanks very much, Sean, for doing this. Sean, a.k.a. the big white Mexican, as they say, so I've been told. How did you come about getting that name? Uh, because I'm big and white and I cook Mexican food. Simple as that. Yeah, I think so. And who give it's, who gives uh, it to you? I think I think I, I, th- I think Nick's been calling me it. You know, have you met Nick? Nick Greaves. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think Nick came up with it. Yeah, it's great. It suits you down to a T. That's it. <laughs> do you like? Do you uh, like it? It's, it's it's like the big Lebowski, isn't it? Like the dude or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you like it or not? Yeah, yeah. Well. I, I didn't realize it was much of a thing. It's Apparently, it is. <laughs> maybe, def- maybe we can turn it into a thing. I think it should be. I definitely think it should be a thing. Like, you know, Eagle can draw me a nice caricature. Or, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And like a nickname, you 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 don't choose, do you? You get given at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, like that guy who used to come into school and be like, right, uh, yeah. So everyone calls me T Bone. It's like. No one calls you T Bone. <laughs> yeah, you're called you're called yeah. Weasel. Yeah, T Bone. Yeah, sit the fuck, sit the fuck <laughs> yeah. down. No, no, my name's Spike, guys. I'm Spike. <laughs> I get it. I get it. So, um, is it Barrio Comida? Barrio Comida, yeah. Barrio Comida. My Mexican. Yeah. I'm a bit. I'm a bit rough on my Mexican. Um, yeah, Spanish. So tell it. <laughs> oh, okay. Mexican's not a language. It's, well, yeah, Spanish. It's funny you should say that about the Spanish because I was, I want, I'm jumping off topic a little bit. Well, kind of, but I, um, I was doing a bit of research on Mexican food because I know absolutely fuck all about it, and um, I'm going to yeah. fuck this up, so you're going to have to bear with me. It says I don't know if you're aware of this, but in 2010, Mexican uh-huh. Mexican food was inscribed on the on the representative list of intangible culinary heritage of humanity by the UNESCO, which is um, basically what it was. was It says because of the slaves that came from Spain and how they, um, how they made such an impact on the food, um, it, that, that gave it the right to be inscribed on this thing of humanity, a big part in humanity. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you get, I mean, I think that's one of the things with um, Mexican food, too, is that people like to bang on about authenticity and, like, what's authentic. But it, it 
you really got to break it down to like um what decade are you being authentic to do you know what i mean yeah 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 100 percent. because like uh, not just mexico but any any country in the world really because you've got like influxes of people throughout history coming into different countries and then the food naturally changes when that happens so um so you know there's there's things that you'd call super authentic mexican um like al pastor tacos or something like that but like that won't have been authentic Mexican at like turn of the century, you know, well, or, like the early no, 1900s. Main, basically, the main the main <coughs> sauce in Mexico was turkey. Mm-hmm. Back in, back yeah, in which day. is why that's like what. Yeah, well, like mole, like the traditional thing to serve mole with is turkey, and lo- yeah. loads of recipes call for turkey stuff. Yeah, yeah, because that is the, that was the only meat basically back in the day, and the rest was beans yeah, and yeah. grains and whatnot. And then, um, uh-huh. and then when the Spanish came. And when the Spanish brought the slaves, as horrendous as it is, in the 16th century, I think it was, um, that that brought a lot of Africans, which then brought a lot of um, a lot of different spices, and then um, and the Spanish brought a lot of the, the pork and the chicken and all the rest of it. So exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. authenticity to what? I guess exactly another example of that is Indian flavors, spices in English food, like. It, it yeah, be, yeah. You know, yeah. Indian is so classic now to to England. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People like like curry in England is a national dish, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's on every pub menu you go to, like yeah. most pub menus. You know. So if you if you like <coughs> get a piece of monkfish or whatever it might be, and 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 rub it in a some sort of spice, let's say, and then you roast it, that is, you know, that's English food in, in my view. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I was so anyway, talk, yeah. Go on, go on. Yeah. You can't, like, um, I think anyone who's doing Mexican food in Europe anyway will say that you can't recreate something that's exactly like it is in Mexico because everything, because just you, you don't have certain products in Mexico, or you don't have certain products here that you have in Mexico and things like, even like, um, you know, the dairy and the cheese and stuff like that. It's totally like Jersey cows are completely different type of dairy, so you end up with a totally different type of cheese. But yeah, yeah. So, so you'll never get, so there's no point in even trying to do it exactly, exactly. But you have it, you can have it heavily inspired by that. And you use products that, like I was talking to a guy when I did the pop-up at um, The Laughing Heart a few weeks ago. Um, there's a chef there called Santiago Lastra, um, yeah. super talented young Mexican chef. And uh, I was talking to him about um, well, we were talking about food and stuff, and 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 he was saying like, you know, like he's like, you guys have like world class products over here. He said like England has like a wealth of amazing products, and he said so you'd be stupid not if you're cooking Mexican food over here not to use all these amazing products and then you know add a Mexican flair to it or like, yeah, like yeah, have the yeah. ideas behind the dish or or even just the like the general vibe of a dish kind of being, um, you know, using those kind of Mexican feelings, but but not just trying to straight up recreate stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's pointless. So anyway, tell us more about it. Tell us more about um, the restaurant and what you've been doing with um, it and, and whatnot, the pop-up and the, the year pop-up you did and whatnot, and, and even how you come about with the idea. Yeah, so, well, so, you know, a mutual friend of me knew Tom, um, we were trying to open a restaurant together up here. Um, in Newcastle, England. To get, yeah, I mean, it was going to be kind of a, 
a, like a small platey wine bar kind of deal. Um, and uh, he, we struggled to get financing for it because neither of us had ever owned a restaurant before or had any, um, you know, business history, trading history. So, um, and we didn't have any money either. So uh, he ended up after we did pop ups for about a year, me and him just trying out different things. Um, Pete Tom's got quite a big, uh, um, like Chinese and Szechuan background. He worked at, he worked at Spice Temple in um, Sydney. While I've, I've never really worked in anywhere Mexican, but I kind of grew, I grew up in California and I grew up eating a lot of Mexican food. So whenever we would do these pop ups, they'd always kind of be like, uh, it was like world influence, all the food, kind of like fun, small platey food. But um, we draw influence from everywhere. And, Tom naturally kind of went Asian on a lot of things, and I naturally tended to go Mexican on things. And then we, and then it had a mix mash of some Britishy stuff in there too. Because um, because it was more of a street street foody kind of places that you were doing. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, high end street food because yeah. Um, and uh, so then Tom went back down to London, and I had to think, right, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do? Um, and I thought. Uh, just that there was no good Mexican food really up here at all. And it, it was like, it was the kind of thing that I missed eating from kind of growing up with it. And, um, and I didn't want to do anything fancy at all. I just wanted to open like a good, a place that just did just some good tacos and some good guac and stuff and really simple and just a fun place for people to kind of go and eat something that's kind of a little bit more interesting than your average kind of 10, 15 pound price point but still at that low price point that people can afford to just go and eat there all the time. Um, so we did. So I started doing, I opened a cafe for Tom's brother in Durham called Flat White. Um, and part of the deal of that was that I do all his menus and get, get the thing up and running and stuff. And, um, and they'd let me use the space once a month to do a pop-up. So I did that and I did, uh, I launched, I launched the Barrio Comida there, and uh, we just were used the pop, to do... Were popular, the pop-ups? Yeah, like, ultra-popular. Like, I mean, straight from the first one, it was just uh, super, super busy. So, I mean, those, I used to I used to stay back about three or four days before I'd do one and prep all night, and uh, and then in the morning, I'd come in at, like, butt crack of dawn and just start hand-pressing tortillas, and I'd get about three or four hundred done, and then we, I used to do three, I think I used to do two, two or three tacos and two or three tostadas because I couldn't press enough tortillas. So I used to buy tortillas to fry and I used to do um, half, half tacos and half tostadas. And I think we'd, we, we had like five or six we'd do on a, on a, on a pop-up menu. Yeah. And we'd always sell out in two hours. Wow. Amazing. Just, so we just have a queue from when we, yeah. And so so that kind of like validated it to me as far as like, it's a good idea. People like it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then I did a pop up at uh, a friend of mine, Adam Riley's place called Riley's Fish Shack. He had a, he had one on, um, he has one on on the quayside in Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, so I did one there, and again, it it sold out super quick. We couldn't prep enough to do it, and we sold out by lunchtime. I think we were meant to be open all day. Um, and then, 
and then and that site that he did was always meant to be kind of a space where chefs would come in and out of it and he'd kind of host people and people do small residencies or it was meant to be like kind of a pop-up space but i think because that was went down so well uh he just offered it to us for a year and said do you want to just take it over for a bit and um and try that out and see what you see what you think so um i just maxed out a credit card and uh Adam helped out with getting a tortilla machine from Mexico. And you, 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 br- you brought, you did, you literally did bring the tortilla machine from Mexico, right? Yeah, you have to. They don't, they don't make them over here. They, they, there's like, a, there's a company called Lennon. They're like the go-to tortilla machine people. They're like the, they're that. what are they? Based? I want to say like Ferrari where, where? of them, but they're like, yeah, the they're, top they're end, the they're, they're the one. guys. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. uh, and what um, are they based in England or are they based in in where Mexico? No, they're in Mexico. Yeah. Oh yeah. right. But they've got because because they are who they are. They're such a um, well-respected um, tortilla making machine making company. Um, you know they've got they've got international people on the phone to deal with international orders. Oh, okay. So it's, but it, it, yeah, you it, the, it was a bit of a nightmare though. It's, it took you ages to get it. You, were, it yeah, the, you weren't the first one to send over to England, put it that way, no? No, no, no. Yeah. I think, like, um, like Rosio Sanchez in Copenhagen, she got hers from them and stuff, too. And I think, to be honest, most people over here get them from them. normally get them from them. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. If, if you're going to have a big mechanized one, if you're going to have a small hand-rolling one, there's different companies you can use, but if you're going to get, like, something that'll produce a good amount of them, then... You're gonna use them. What kind? Of, what Probably. kind of numbers? What kind of numbers are there? Because you know we use mincers, quite a lot of mincers and whatnot, and it's like however many uh-huh. kilo per hour is generally like nine hundred yeah, yeah. kilo an hour, fucking half a ton an hour, whatever. That's the goal. So what would mm. your what would yours be the same? Like it it pumps out five hundred and fifty a minute or whatever it might be. Yeah. So the one that we had at the key side, um, did seven hundred an hour. Seven hundred. Um, but that's just pressing, and then they come off of, off the conveyor belt, and then you have to cook them. Yeah, yeah. There, we were cooking them on a couple of bits of mild steel over charcoal. Um, yeah. But I had some extra steel cut to give me a bigger cooking area. But still, the max we could cook, I think, was 300 an hour, okay. like max out. So, so uh, we used to have to shut at points in the day. We could only open lunch and dinner because we could never produce enough to stay open all day. So what would you yeah, do? You just, do that twice you, just gi- you just give them a little bit of a, you just get them going and then just hold them, do you? Like in a tray or, or, or like no? So you do. So you can do it one of two ways. You can either cook them to order, yeah, um, or you can cook them ahead, cool them, stack them, and then you reheat them. And that's what I. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah, that sounds a lot. A lot. A lot of people are like massive proponents of cooking them a la minute to order. Yeah. The only issue with that I find is that. I think if you if you do them as part of a production process, so like a perfectly cooked one, cooked to order, will probably be a bit better than one that you've cooked, cooled, and then reheated, whatever. Yeah. Um, the issue is that when you get busy, the guys aren't cooking them perfectly every single time. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, of course. It's, it's, taking, so it's, out it's that, like taking out that element of risk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I just think they're better. Like, they're ninety, they're much better consistently if you do them as as a production process in the morning. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, well, I don't know. There's loads of examples and things like that. 
but well, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah, anything when when you're under pressure, and it's a time delicate operation. Do you know what I mean? Like you leave it on there for two minutes too long, or one minute too long on one side, or whatever. It's going to get too crispy, whatever it yeah. might be. And and once it, it's all right when you're doing one, it's the same as anything. You know, you know, once you've got to start pumping out fifty, then and, and you've got to turn around and grab something else and. Someone's calling yeah, me while you're doing other things. Well, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And, it, it's know, probably a bit like bread, you know. It's like like a, a, a loaf of bread pulled directly out of the oven. It's probably going to be better than a, a loaf of bread baked in the morning and then reheated in an oven. But but they both do a great job. Not like not yeah exactly. But they're both delicious anyway. So it's like exactly. uh, it's, it's I guess it's, like you say it's the uh, <laughs> what's the word. Um, Risk management, isn't it? It's all about risk management mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like, yeah, maybe the first. Well, you just want to put out a consistent, like a really exactly. good, consistent product. You know, consistency um, is the key, isn't it? And we all know that. There was also there was a. You remember um, Peter Candler, one of the directors. Yeah, from, yeah. So just Peter said to me once. Yeah, um, he said to me once, uh, which at the time, I was like. Uh, running this pub for them, like mega, mega driven on trying to produce the best of everything I could and and going probably a bit overboard on what we were trying to achieve, given what it was. Um, and he used to always say to me, don't let the uh, don't let the great be the enemy of the good. And I remember at the time thinking like, fuck that. Like, I want everything to be like amazing. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think like the the more I go on, the more I always think back to that, and I think it's very true, you know. Like oh, this. Well, I've got to say, like like something being a nine is okay if you can consistently produce a nine. That's much better than producing a ten sometimes. Oh shit, Sean. Honestly, I'm not just saying this, and I'm I'm glad we're having this conversation. I feel like the clouds have parted and the sun's come down. Do you know what I mean? Like it's great to hear you say that. Honestly, I'm not just. I've, I've had many a conversation with you, many, many a conversation, and, uh, you know, mm. I always supported you. You know, I'd like to think we've always supported you, and we've always had good conversations, you've always yeah. supported me and whatnot, and uh, what you wanted to do, and I could always, fit, I always felt like, and I, all, I always kind of, like, hinted at these kind of things, but you were you were pretty, um, you know, pretty focused on, it's got to be this, you know, it's got to be the best quality, the best quality, the best quality, you know, there's no... No room for no error for movement or whatever you know no no, no movement yeah. can go on. And I, I used to think to myself, oh, you know, if we just pulled it back a little bit, it might be it might make his life a bit easier, which then might create the stress a little bit less, which might make it things open up a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, so, so, yeah, to, to and that's that, the you end up with a better product, I think, in the end when you do that. Definitely. You know, hundred percent. Like, I mean, there's there's loads of places like. Um, I think also just because I naturally think that way that I want that I, I want to produce something that's very very good that uh, you're never gonna it's not like you're dropping your standards it's like you're just thinking realistically on producing a good standard all the time instead Definitely. of and, and also producing something that other people can produce and that can work without you when it needs to work without you you know what exactly. I mean instead exactly. of like you having to touch every single thing that's going on every plate. Exactly, and you're running around like. Head I think head. I think it's a natural thing that like all probably like loads of chefs go through that, right? Like. That yeah, I think so. Of, of, I think so. Yeah. When, when I was at the Fat Duck as well, the um, 
they were talking about one of the products and they said, oh, it's, it's great, it's really consistent. I was like, oh, I can't remember what it was. I, I, I want to I see it. I think it might be in the salmon. Or, I can't remember what it was. But one of the guys, I think it was actually Robbie Chestnut that was talk, telling, me, talking to me about it. He said, it's not the best you can get. Like, you can get such and such from Scotland, which is better, but it's only better six months of the year. And then the other six yeah, months yeah. of the year, it's shit. So, but this product yeah. is not quite as good but it's not quite as good, you know, 365. So we go for this yeah. because then that's consistency. And, and again, that just reiterates that that's more important. The consistent product is more important. As long as it's still a, a great standard, it's, uh, you know, it, it, you're, not, you're not compromising. You know, you just get yeah. the quality. And so it's right. It's 100% right. Well, that's that thing. That's the, the, the great being the enemy of the good, isn't it? That's the, you know, if you try to get this one, you know, it's it's like it's like fish suppliers who were like, you know, like I use this guy's Colonel Sashimi based out of Cornwall, right? And their fish is sick. It's super good. You're dealing just with day boats. You're speaking to the guys that are running the boats. Um, it gets overnight quarry. You know, it comes in off the boats at like 2 in the afternoon, goes onto a quarry by 4. You get it by 10 the next morning. So, like, mega fresh. Best in the country, arguably. But um, there goes through There's You can't just use them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. They won't catch shit sometimes. And, like, if you say, oh, I'm only going to use this fish because it's the best in the country, it's, like, great, but, like, are you realistically, you can, like, not have fish on the menu for a month if there's shit waters in Cornwall, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. If the waters are too dangerous like, or whatever. Yeah, so you, so you might use some other fish that's, like, still good but not that good. You're you're keeping your customer happy because they still can still come in and have a fucking... You know, I was using that fish for the just fucking fried fish tacos, you know what I mean? But, uh... Yeah, and also ninety five percent of the people aren't even gonna. They don't even know, but it's but you know you you kind of go into that length to try to get a good product. No, yeah, but like also you've got to look at price. I keep saying this, like it's also a business shot. Like it's a business. We've got to make money. Do you know what I mean? Like if you've got to, you've got to know where you stand in the market as well. Do you know what I mean? Like you know uh, where what's yeah, yeah. my price point? Who are my customers? What is my business? Where do you know where yeah. do I need to be? And obviously everything has got to be the best that you can afford, and not cut any corners or the rest of it. But you've got to look where you are. You know, you're not yeah, you're not yeah. charging fifty five pound a main course or whatever it, it might be. You know what I mean? So you've, you've got to mm-hmm. you've got to it's got to reflect that. Anyway, so where, yeah, um, totally. where where did you get the name from? Like basically the the, the whole the idea is I wanted to kind of create like a a place that my mates could come and eat and could afford to eat and would want to eat and just kind of like a community hub, like a like a restaurant that's kind of for the people and not for the elite or the people. Because, like, my backgrounds tend to be more kind of high-end restaurants and I didn't... I used to see some of the people who'd come and eat there and, like, you have absolutely nothing in common with any of them. Or not... That's maybe a generalization, but... No, I get a, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of them you didn't. Um, and and this, so then... And I thought, so Barrio Comida means um, kind of neighborhood food, but not in like in, in improper Spanish. It would be like La Comida del Barrio. But um, I thought, write it as Barrio Comida as kind of a nod to the fact that I'm a white guy. Oh, okay. Neighbor, neighborhood Mexican food. Back, back to the big white Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of it's, it's kind of improper Spanish for neighborhood food. Okay, yeah. So it's a joint where your people come, 
more than once a week, more than more than once a month kind of place, just drop in, yeah. grab something, quick beer in, trigger loud. And yeah, did totally. you, did, was it, I didn't get the opportunity to to go because I haven't been home for such a long time. But um, what was 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 the music? How how was the music? I'm just really interested. Was it like hip hop or you know a bit like New York or was it a bit more like uh, someone twinking away on a guitar? Yeah, like hip hoppy, like quite like loud hip hoppy on a night time. Um, yeah. And then in the daytime, kind of like Afro beats and kind of chilly stuff. And, yeah, it was right like on the wall, wasn't it? In the daytime. Happy yeah, yeah, it was good. It's good. I, I'm, I'm super, like, I'm, one of my favorite things about restaurants is kind of like creating a vibe, you know? And yeah, like, yeah. You, you can't even. Uh, it's just all. It's like this. It's like anything good. It's all the sum of little things put together, isn't it? You know, and like just having like lighting just right and music just right and this I don't know like even just like having your staff trained right so they're, they've got the right attitude with people to just I don't know there's nothing better I think than when you've kind of created a space or whatever and, and you're happy with the food you're producing and people are happy and it's just got like a really good flow to the whole thing and like an awesome vibe it's uh, I find it really gratifying I, I haven't you know I think some places do that so well like it's just yeah. unbelievable. You know, the, the, do you remember that chicken that chicken joint you took me to that time in in where you used to live in London? That was that had a real good vibe. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you get like it's all those. It's like um, it's it's like you know when you, you're in Paris, like if you go to Paris and you go to those kind of like little like kind of like kind of like hipstery natural wine bars in Paris, and they just got like there's nothing like specific you could put your finger on of why they have such a great vibe to them. But they have this, like, super cool, laid-back, like, vibe to... Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, no, that, there could not even be music playing, and it's just, like, it's just got that amazing... Or, like, St. John. Like, you walk into St. John in that bar, there's no music playing, there's no art on the walls, it's just a white room, and it has such a feeling when you yeah, walk it could in be there, just, you know? It could like, be so stagnant, couldn't it? It could be, it could be so... Yeah, but it's not. Like, like, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. yeah. It's like, and you can't really necessarily put your finger on exactly why, but... And then also going on the other end of that, you know, you go to some restaurants like, you know, the Capitol, and Nathan Outlaw at the Capitol, and you uh, go in, and, you you know, you go into the bar area, you order your drinks, nuts and olives come, you sit there, the menu comes, the waiter comes with the, you know, dress smartly, or any of these dinner, or any of these really, uh, you know, any of the top restaurants... And that's another, that, that's another vibe, you know, you're there. Yeah, it's totally, like, yeah. It's like, do you know what I mean? That, that's, even though it's not hip-hop beats and that kind of vibe, it's still like a, a welcoming, you know, uh, you're out for lunch kind of vibe. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. At, well, you I, still, you can, you can totally fuck that up too, can't you? You know, oh, for sure. like, I'm sure you've been to uh, some kind of fancy Mr. Star places where you, you, you might go in on a night time and it, and it feels too bright and a bit sterile or a little bit too quiet or you have to hush a little bit or do you know what well, I mean? And, well, at the end of the day, it's hospitality. If you're feeling uncomfortable, there's something wrong, isn't there? Exactly, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. You should have a great time and it should just be fun. Everything should be fun, whether that's like, whether you're spending like 200 quid a head on like a tasting menu or you're like in some little divey taco joint, you know, like yeah. it should be fun. Well, I used to, I remember when I went, I went to, um, Restaurant Gordon Ramsay's in 1998, I think it was. It was just shortly after it first opened, 
to 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 Royal mm. Hospital Road, and um, and I went there, and there was like me, the head, my head chef at the time, I think two is the sous chef, but, or two sous chefs, something along those lines, and I was the youngest, I was like the apprentice, and um, the the wine waiter come over, you know, the sommelier come over, and he and he's French, French, really French, you know, like could barely spoke English but with a massively French accent, and. Uh, <laughs> Man, I didn't have a clue what he was saying to me, like, and it was really intimidating. <laughs> like, he was like, yeah. well, I, I, I still don't know what he was saying. You know, my, my English language is pretty screwed as it is, do you know what I mean? So I was pretty, even now to this day, I'm not that great, but I'm a bit more confident in myself. And at 18, I was like, what is this fucker saying? Do you know what I mean? Like, he made me just say, what do you want to drink? And I was like, looking around. Yeah, like, still a sparkling. Like, You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, like, thinking into my chair, thinking, oh, just give me something to drink. I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Like, just a beer. Just yeah. bring me a beer. Do you know? And that was, yeah, just feeling that uncomfortable. You know, in in that environment. That's what you do, isn't it? You look at like this tome of wine, and then you just go, I'll just have a beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's no way I'm getting involved with this. Yeah, exactly. I once bought another bottle. But that's of that's for them to to take on and to see. That's Look, what I mean. Right, exactly. We, we we've got a group of kids. They don't know much about wine. I'm, I know what their probably their price point is. Yeah, let's deliver. I know what they'll probably exactly. like, so I'll recommend exactly. some stuff to them. You know. Hey guys, does everyone want a round of gin and tonics? Oh, and yeah. if someone pipes up and says, "Oh no, no, I'll take a whatever that they want to they want to get going with." Yeah. You know, fair enough. But at least you you took that situation and you've gone, or oh, whatever it is, round the beer boys, or obviously not in mm. that tone because it's a bit more. But just to take that edge off anyone that is nervous or whatever, because people are, are nervous yeah, yeah. to go to restaurants. People are nervous. Yeah, totally. I'm nervous when I go, even this day, if I go into like a really cool clothes shop, which is like very rarely because I've never done wear cool clothes. But if you do go in and there's like one super suave guy, looks like he used to be a model but got fucking ditched, yeah. you know what I mean? But he, he still thinks he's yeah. a model. He's in there with the pristine sh- suit on, no music, behind his glass counter, and you go in, he's just looking at you, and he's, I just turn around and walk out. I don't know what I'm doing, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that environment... I think that's the, the, that's the danger of, of taking yourself too seriously, is that you stop things being fun. I, I think you like there's a big danger in that with food, too. Like... Obviously, you have to take things seriously and you have to like, um, you know, you have to be striving to do something very good and, and, and your standards have to be really high. But the, like, if you take every single tiny thing super, super seriously, it just, it, it permeates through the entire restaurant. And, and all of a sudden, it's not a fun place for people to work and it's not a fun place for people to come in. Definitely. But and then on the, the flip side of that is as well, you've got to get the, the balance right. Like, I don't want to sound like oh fashion or whatever, but I do feel like the dining scene, which I uh, is going a bit more on a relaxed environment. Do you know what, like? Mm-hmm. Which is, I guess isn't a bad thing in some areas. But when I was younger, you know, you'd go to Twenty One Queen Street back in the day, and you walk in there, and it was like a real, like it was a it was a real occasion. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I'm going for lunch, or yeah. you know that whatever it is. Where now it's like I'm just going to pick this up or. It's a bit more relaxed environment. Do you know what I mean? I guess you, you've just got to find mm-hmm. what you want. Some restaurants are, some restaurants aren't. You just got to know what you want and and go to them restaurants where you, you there's something for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, let's get back to Mexican food because I'm, I'm I'm using this okay. as a bit of a, a, bit of a lesson. I, I want to know more about Mexican food. I don't know. 
I know like the usual, like the things that, that everyone else knows, like uh, tacos and you know ceviches and uh, is it mole, yeah. mole sauce? I know these kind of things, but I want. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a bit of a rundown of, of a bit more things that a bit that other people won't know? Like you used to do that. Um, like I don't want to fucking crucify. You know, you did that kebab thing. You know, like the the vertical barbecue mm-hmm. and whatnot. Can you just tell us a bit more about them? So like that, what you're the kebab thing? That's um, tacos al pastor. What we do. So um, that came over. That's again talking back to that kind of thing of um, authenticity and. That came over in the, I think it was the 40s or 50s with Lebanese immigrants to Mexico City. Um, and they brought over um, Tacos Arabe, which um, I believe started as lamb, as like a kind of shawarma thing, then yeah. turned to pork, which was seasoned in kind of um, like Arab style spices, you know, like cumin and stuff, and uh, layered with onions. And they would serve that in a... Um, like a kind of flatbread, like a big flour tortilla kind of thing, and they'd yeah. be rolled up. Um, so it's kind of like a just like a shawarma kebab, um, and then that eventually turned into al pastor. You still get tacos arabe in, in Mexico also, but then that an offshoot of that became tacos al pastor, which then they use pork, they marinate it in um, achiote, which is like a like a Yucatan style rub. Um, you, what, Yucatan, what, you, Yucatan, what's that? Yucatan's like a, it's like a region in kind of, it's, you know, like Cancun and stuff. That's the whole oh, Yucatan yeah. Peninsula. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite like tropical kind of, um, uh, like rainforesty kind of area. Um, yeah. They they do a dish there called cochinita piba, which is like a pit baked pig, and it's rubbed in um, the same rub, uh, achiote, and then it's uh they, they they bake it underground and then they serve it with like pink pickled onions and in the old tortillas. It's um, funny you should say that about yeah. just uh, so two things I just want to quickly jump on before. What what was the rub called? Achiote. And what's the rest? What what what's what's in the what's in that rub? Well, everything's different, isn't it? But it's, it, the 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 base of it is always um, anato seeds, and then normally some some type of chili. We use wajillo chilies. Which is like kind of medium spicy one, um, and then it's got spices, vinegar, like cumin, uh, Mexican oregano, white vinegar, and, and like the, a thick paste. And, and the the anato seeds they do have a slight flavor to them, but the main thing is it's a coloring agent. It's so red. It, it makes red? it go. Yeah, it's red. Yeah. So yeah. You, you marinate. We used to use um, we used uh, pork neck for it. Um, so we get really really nice middle white pork neck. Um, and then we marinate, we pound that out really thin, marinate. So it just slice it, in, like, sli- slice it in like medallions, and then just pound them out. Is yeah. That what yeah, exactly. Just so they're about kind of half a centimeter thick, I'd say. Um, and then marinate that in achiote for twelve hours overnight. Um, some people put pineapple through the marinade also, but because it, it kind of tenderizes the meat, but I find yeah. it breaks it down a little bit too much, and you lose the texture of it. Um, and then that gets all stacked up on the spit, which they call a trombo. Um, and then it gets a pineapple put on the top of it. And is, and that, just just a, is, that, just tra- is that just a traditional and not to tradition? No, that's uh, it. so that is like, the way we do it is ba- is pretty much exactly as, as you'd have it, I would say, in Mexico City. From, from everything I've seen, it's like pretty uh, well, legit. Is that pineapple, is that, 
does that like you know does it do anything or is it just to keep it in place you know like well so, no so it's meant to, no so it's the pineapple you serve it with it so on a on a taco al pastor you'll normally you'll have the meat sliced um and then uh, then normally onion chopped uh coriander cilantro and uh some sort of salsa and then a little slice of the pineapple oh, okay beautiful just straight up pineapple, pineapple not, pizza not, taco ham and pie People knock it, and I just keep quiet. I just sit quietly in the corner when people start slagging ham and pineapple pizza. I'm like, oh yeah, I, yeah. Meanwhile, I love it, I've got, mate. yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> meanwhile, I've got a speed dial on my phone. Do you know what I mean? Like, fucking yeah. I love ham and pineapple. Um, <laughs> but, that, um, well, oh, man, I was gonna, you knocked me off something when we were saying that. Oh yeah, sorry about the pig. Um, burying the pig. It's funny you should say that because over here. Well, in New Zealand, obviously I'm in Australia, but in New Zealand they also do. I think it's called a hang, hangi. I probably fuck that up as well. A hangi or a hungi, where they they uh-huh. build a, a. Have you heard of these before, Sean? The, yeah, I think Joel. You know Humphreys, Joel Humphreys. Yeah, Joel Humphreys. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think he's he's probably, he's from, telling me something yeah. about him. But it will yeah. probably got a way better information than I'm about to give you. But um, the uh, as he, he's you know he's from New Zealand, he's probably done. Uh, so many of them, and he's a great cook. But um. Yeah, basically, the, I think this is how it goes. They build a fire down there in the ground. Is, is this it, Jack? And then, uh-huh. and then they put the meat in, and then they, they, they put the dirt on top, and then they leave it for a period of time. I've only ever been to one of them, um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was fantastic. It really was fantastic. Yeah, um, they're great, just, aren't they? Those kind of like ritualistic. I think every country's got them, really. Well, that's or most gonna, countries, yeah, don't yeah, they? Exactly, like, exactly. Do you think like, like you have the, clam bakes in Maine and like? Uh, do you think the Sunday roast in England is that? Do you think it's just a thing to bring a family together? Like it's just like a, like you say, like a, a ritual, you know, bringing people together, yeah, talking. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, yeah. It probably. Yeah, that would be like England's equivalent, probably, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Something, something basically that just brings people together. I guess it, you know, like. Um, what else is it? You know, like... like the, Forces people to sit around the table once a week. Yeah, exactly. And talk, communicate. You know, all yeah. these things. Especially now, now you're looking at mental health and things and how people are getting so lonely um, from not communicating with people. They probably knew this back in the day and that's why, you know, things like that. You look at the... What do they say? You look at history for the future. Do you know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one of the things you do. The 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 kebab they look so good. Honestly, I love a kebab. Yeah, they're anyway. tasty. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what sort? They of, look good too. When people walk in, they're like, uh, yes, people wanting to order one for sure. And you just carve it straight off that um, off that rotis. It's, it's a little bit tricky. You want to sell it at a certain pace. I, I think it's kind of hard to control it, obviously. But if yeah, you I sell think... it at the right pace, it turns out the best. You know, like yeah, yeah. But I guess you want to kind of like get you. You want that like little like caramelized outside edge and then you like sl- like slice it really thin off of that so you're just getting like these caramelized edges falling off and but they're kind of like juicy inside you know yeah but. gosh and what happens if you don't like is there any you know you see them I, I just shop. carve I, write, I, I continually carve bits of it off so it stays good but then once you get down to like they're better when you build them bigger if you can build like a te- like at least like 10 kilo one yeah they're the best they they compress better, they cook better, and once you get down to the kind of middle two kilos, I just ditch it because it it like cooks all the way through. It just ends up like starting to go dry, and like I use neck anyway, so it's like darker meat yeah, and more yeah, fat. Yeah. But 
it, it still gets to a point where it's just like not as juicy, you know. The neck's so good on the park, isn't it? It's so good. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's like super cheap, super yummy. I like and that's yeah. one of the great things about Mexican food also is that a lot of the cuts that they all use for stuff are cheap cuts, and that's like very authentic to the cuisine. Yeah. Um, so we use so I use really good suppliers and really like ethically sourced meat and all happy animals and stuff and nice breeds, but just the cheaper cuts of all those breeds. And so I, so I still offer something at a good price. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of chefs use, like, cheap cuts now, don't they? But they, it's, they're still, like, you know, you, you're never going to pay the same for, like, racks and loins as you are for necks and stuff. Um, I want to go just quickly, Molly. Yeah. So, so what, what is that? Do you know any history and what it is exactly? It's kind of hard to, like, I've researched loads of times into, like, what exactly constitutes something being a mole. And there's no, like, I can't find, like, a definitive answer on it. It's, it's basically, it's a, it's a source from mainly from Oaxaca in the south of Mexico. And um, the, it's the closest thing to, like, French food I can describe it as is, like, the mother sauces, you know, like the kind of, like, like uh, you know, you've got, like, demi-glace and espanol and yeah, yeah. bash and all those things. Like, um, so you've got, um, like, uh, mole negro, um, mole poblano, uh, chichilio, amarillo, Verde, there's like a, there's a, I think there's like seven mother moles, and uh, yeah, tra- traditionally just like kind of cooked with, um, just like stewed with meat in them and then served with tortillas and stuff. Okay. The classic one that everyone knows is is mole poblano, which I think actually comes from Puebla. I think it's one of the only ones that comes from outside of, of Oaxaca, and it's um, it's the the base of it is uh. So the base of it's like chilies. We use like three types of chilies. We use mulatto, pasilla, and ancho chilies. And then it gets, um, it's got like, uh, like, like a lot of like sweet spices, um, burnt tortillas, lots uh, like almonds, peanuts, uh, raisins, prunes. Like there's about kind of like 25 ingredients in it. Um, it's, how, it's like one of the recipes like, when someone says, oh, can you just knock this up? Just that gives yeah, you the no, recipe, you you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, are you serious? Yeah. Like, we we do it once a week. We, once a week we make, like, kind of like 15 litres of mole, and then that's the mole for the week. Yeah. Because it, okay. it's too big of a job to just, like, do it midweek, to work it into your prep. You need to kind of just, like, have a day when you're doing that kind of stuff. So yeah, a lot yeah, of those yeah. kind of, like, fried-style salsas we, and, and the moles and stuff, we just we do them once a week. Um, and it's one of those things also that benefits from sitting a few days, you know? It kind of, like, comes yeah, together a lot, like, the flavor. Do you think uh, Noma going to Mexico helped bring Mexican food? Do you think they brought it a bit more up to speed? Like, pe- not not Mexican food by any means, but people's... Like, their perception of Their Mexican perception, food, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their, their perception of Mexican food, exactly. Do you think they helped with that? Probably with the kind of chefs maybe, who follow Noma, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you think, like, as a chef, you think Noma, you think it's Noma, it's like this massive world-renowned restaurant, but you go ask Joe Public on the street, they don't know what, the fuck, they don't know, know what Noma yeah. is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he was so, posting, so did with, you see him with, when he was posting the ingredients? Like, when they were there? Yeah. But, but, so good. Yeah, that's the thing, though, isn't it? I think, like, with when they were there, yeah, they were highlighting some of the amazing ingredients that you can get there. 
Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. And cooking them in a kind of Mexican, you, Scandinavian way. You can't help being a bit bit rude, really. You know, like, people go, oh, Mexican food. And just, and it, you know, it's just so narrow-minded. You just think of what your local Tex-Mex did around the corner, and you think, that must be it, yeah, yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, like, just these shit places. You still get that. Shit. People, like, loving, like, coming in all the time. Hey, that's what they want, you know? They, like, they want nacho cheese and stuff. But I think, in general, though, what you get is, I think you can think of it as a negative or a positive. I think of it as a positive in the fact that a lot of people know about Mexican food and might think they like Mexican food when they like Tex-Mex food. And then they come in and they have something that's not Tex-Mex, but is super yummy. So they yeah, I, learn about other Mexican food and they're like happy. You know what I mean? So No disrespect to anyone that does eat Tex-Mex, but you know, whatever. People, you have a great time. I know people go there for, for a good time as well. It's like normally like pretty good mm. Do you know what I mean? But, but yeah, I, I thought it was really cool when they were they were bringing the um, when they were really highlighting the the quality ingredients that you get in in Mexico. It looks, the stuff looks yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah, unbelievable! So, it's like great seafood, like especially up in uh, Baja and stuff. Like, um, I forget what two oceans, but like Baja is like the um, like the it's, it's like the top the north northwest of Mexico. Um, and it, it's like it's got two seas or oceans on the side of it, so you get like two different types of fish from both sides. So you oh, get like, like just hot and cold. crazy seafood there. Is that what you mean? Is it warm? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's why. Yeah, yeah. Like what? What? Yeah, one's like a gulf where you get more kind of tropical stuff, I think, and then the other one goes out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's yeah. The fish is a bit quite different here as well. Um, Mm. So obviously with French food, you would you would say like um, you know red wine and mirepoix and even like rouge as as classical flavors. Do you know what I mean? Like that you'd go down that road. Italian, you would you mm. would say olive oil, tomato, garlic. You know Chinese, you would say maybe soy, Sichuan, and along those lines. What would you say would mm. be the Mex- what would be the, the Mexican equivalent? I think of like well. Dried chilies are the big, like, dried chilies and corn are the two biggest ones. Um, yeah. And by corn, I mean, like, field corn, like, starchy corn that you make tortillas from. Um, Wait, what's the, what's that called? Like, co- it's called, is it maize, mm. uh, what's the flour called? That um, you make the tortillas? flour called like, masa harina. Mas, that's it, masa, yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, masa just means dough. So, what is it? <clears throat> masa, so, so, the technique for making tortillas is you take field corn, which is like starchy corn, like 90% of the corn in the world's starchy corn. It's just that the only corn you see in a supermarket is sweet corn, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, but, but a lot of corn like that's grown just goes to feeding cattle and stuff, but it's, it's the main like staple crop of, of Mexico. Um, the, so that gets soaked in um, calcium hydroxide, which uh, they call like... Uh, uh, cow um, or slaked lime it gets soaked in that overnight which kind of denatures the corn a bit and um, changes the kind of structure of it then it gets rinsed off and the kind of outside kernels like um, the husks like washed off of it and then it yeah. goes into a wet grinder um, and it gets ground as the wet corn and then what comes out the bottom is a dough called masa and then you can press that straight and direct into tortillas or you can make tamales or whatever you want to make out of it um or you could or they kind of flash dry that and blend it 
and then that becomes Massa Harina, which is uh, the the flower. So then that oh, then that so, holds. So all so all that flower was once a dough. It was a dough, yeah, and then it gets oh, dried and 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 milled to a flower. But so then you have three different. Just, do you, and you just rehydrate it effectively. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You just I just you just add water that's like like warm warm to hot water and. But you get so you get a few types though. So like you'll get. Um, I found there's kind of three types of masa harina. You get you get. The best stuff is the stuff that like most people in Mexico, use masa harina to make tortillas. Even though they, you know, obviously they've got all the corn and they can make fresh grilled like masa. Tortillas if they want, but. It just, I don't know. It's like you can make sourdough bread, but people buy white slice from the shop, right, for the mouth. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, so most people make tortillas out of masa harina, but the masa harina that they get in Mexico is like has a shelf life of like 20 days or something like that. It's like 20 days, 28 days, and that stuff is like when you go to tortillerias, like like tortillerias, I would have like when I grew up in California and stuff. You try those tortillas, and they're like mega good, even though they're made with tortilla flour instead of fresh, but it's because it's this like really really good tortilla flour. That stuff you can't get over here, obviously, because it would just die in transit. So they so they never bring it over. So the stuff you get here, you get two types. You get one that's got like a three month shelf life on it, which still produces, I think, a very good tortilla. And then you get one that's got like a six month shelf life on it, which is pretty shit, I think. Uh, even like the big brand of tortilla flour is Maseca, and uh, and they sell some of this stuff too. That's like got a really long shelf life on it, and it. Even though it, it doesn't say it's got any stabilizers or something in it, but it just it just feels way different. Like the dough feels really different. Yeah. Um, but you want to get it as close to the to the production date as possible. Like you can tell if, if you oh, get lots of flour that's got two oh, months we, on it. You, yeah. Okay. It, it feels better, and then when it starts to get close to its use by, you can tell. Far out, so it really does depreciate. Yeah, very, very quickly. And you can't really use it after it's, like, once it's gone, it's gone. The tortilla's just really crumbly. They don't puff the same. There's, like, no uh, spring on it. As if you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that, but, yeah. Well, there you go. That's awesome. So it yeah. always it used to always be a door. That's, that's awesome. I, didn't, I really didn't know that. So Ooh. when when we re, reopen Barrio, the I think I'm going to do... So we're, I'm going to have it as a... It'll be a, a taqueria, and then there'll also be... A, a chef's table, I guess, for lack of a better word, but it's going to be um, an a la carte style menu or like a small plate kind of menu where people order what they want, but all on a counter downstairs. So for, for downstairs, I'm going to import bags of, of dry corn from Oaxaca and we'll we'll have a masa mill where we'll grind our own dough to make the masa for that. But then I think for upstairs, I think we'll use masa arena continue to, yeah, okay. at least to start yeah. with until we can. The, the main issue is getting enough corn into the, you've got to buy like, in 10,000 kilos at a time and then you've got to store it and it's, a, it's a nightmare yeah, <laughs> again yeah. it's like the, 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 the great being the enemy of the good isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, um, just before we, we go on uh, in the rest of your career so you, you reopening in Duramania yeah? is, is that the new plan yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Got, a, got a site there you've got a site and what, it's going to be on two levels yeah, so it'll be like ground floor taqueria with um for I think we'll get about fifty or sixty covers in it. Um we'll have like a little retail bit too. Gonna get a bigger tortilla machine that can produce about two and a half thousand an hour. 
um, and it, that cooks and cools them everything. Um, so it's like a proper production machine. And then we'll have a like a little retail shop set up where we'll sell all the we'll sell loads of products. We'll sell dried chilies, uh, sell the masa flour, um, sell our tortillas, um, and then there'll also be a patio on that for the summertime, which will probably see another 50 people. And then in the basement, we'll have the the counter chef's table for okay. FLC 18 people. And I think we'll probably do it around kind of like live fire downstairs. It sounds unbelievable. And that, and that will that be like um, 18 people like a couple of times a night or one time a night? or what? what you, like, I, think we'll, we'll, I think we'll do one turn on it. So I think we'll do 36 people a night. Yeah, nice. So, which will give people kind of a two and a half hour block to read in, which is a nice amount of time, you know. So yeah, um, but yeah, because so, so then downstairs want to have a nice, you know, nice wine. Like basically, what I found was at the quayside, we had half of the people. Basically, at, so the first like two three months, I was just cooking like we set like six tacos. That's it. I just want to do legit tacos. We were just doing those. Everyone was happy. Then it just because you've been a chef and you want to talk about food and play, I just started playing a lot. And like doing lots of little specials and like raw fish dishes and stuff. And then you'd get people coming in. I find it was kind of a split. You'd have half the people just come in. They just want to smash a couple beers, have some tacos, have some fun and go. And then some people want to come in and they kind of wanted to like try all, all the specials and maybe wanted to be waited on a bit more and like have a bit more of an experience about it. Yeah, well, um, that's, well that, that's a bit like, like we're well, going back to that text mix clientele thing like we were saying uh-huh. I guess the people that just want to come in and have a few tacos and have a few beers are just wanting that good experience you know that just fun bite to eat few beers some pals and disappear and the other yeah. people that want to try all the specials are the more people that know that what you're from your background and know about your cooking ability want to try more about your food a bit more restaurant focused right would you say yeah I think also you get um everyone at different points wants different things don't you like like you'll you know it's tuesday night let's you know let's go and grab a couple of tacos you, you know it's nice and then sometimes you want to it's weekend you might want to yeah and have a proper meal yeah if you've got the kids with you it's just a taco and a bee and you're gone yeah if it's a date night it's a bit more isn't it yeah so we wanted to like basically split the offering so they were both focused better, and I was catering to those both types of people or occasions better. Yeah. So, um, so upstairs will be, um, we'll still do, we'll do specials and stuff upstairs, but it'll be like a bit more structured, and we'll do like tamales and like kind of like classic uh, soups like pozoles and like all the caldos and stuff. And then downstairs it'll be kind of maybe a bit more loosely Mexican. It'll be kind of like Mexican-inspired and cooked over wood and stuff, um, but using, you know, mega English products and only cooking for 30 people a night. So. so that's what you're doing. Now, let's just go back before then, sorry. You're working in London, and you worked mm-hmm. at some, you know, you worked at some cracking places. St. John's, Marcus Waring's, Kitchen Table, right? <laughs> to name a mm-hmm. few. Yeah. What was it? What was it like? Like... For me, that's three really different styles of restaurant. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you've got, you know, St. John's is quite pared back, really quality cooking, solid, maybe English style, probably English style cooking, well, definitely English style cooking. Um, uh-huh. And you've got the Marcus Waring, which is a, a, a refined, you know, it's a, it's a two-star Michelin 
high-end fine dining restaurant, but big. It's a big, you know, it's a big unit, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's one of them big uh-huh. London kitchens. And then you've got kitchen table, which is still the the refined and maybe a little bit more modern in its approach, but a little bit more. Again, it's got a <clears throat> excuse me, it's got a counter, right? And it's yeah, like yeah, it's up. a similar. I mean, that's kind of the idea behind. Yeah, what I'm going to be doing. exactly. It's kind exactly. of based on kitchen, a bit less formal, not quite as formal as kitchen table, but a similar vibe, you know. Yeah, so let's if we can, if you don't mind, just quick go through them, them, them restaurants and them kitchens for the people that would think, oh, this sounds that sounds awesome. From so you started at Marcus Wearings, right? Was that the first one? Can yeah. You tell us a bit so about that, yeah, so I was, well, I was up, I was up north, and I, I got to be kind of twenty-five, and I, I, re, I, I wanted to work in a kind of big Michelin kitchen. And, and a hard kitchen, I think, also just to kind of prove to yourself that you could work in a really hard kitchen. And I think when I got to 25, I thought, right, if I'm going to do it, I've got to, I've got to do it now because otherwise it's going to – it hurts your body, right, <laughs> doing those hours. Yeah, yeah, of so, course. So, um, yeah, I went down and did a week's trial for free. <laughs> That's what you used to do then and, and took a job down there. And what was it like? What, yeah. was the, what was the atmosphere like? What was the environment like? What was the training mm. like? What was it? What did it? Te- what did it teach you? What was it? What were the big the big lessons you learned there? Like so, it's super fast paced, mega regimented. Um, you know, it's one of those Gordon Ramsay style kitchens. It's like big team. There was kind of like it was like twenty seven of us or something like that. Mega mega high turnover of staff. I think once once you were there about six months, you were about what you know you were one of five people or six people who'd been there for longer than six months. So there's kind of that to contest with, you know, a bit of like a kind of vicious kitchen. But I think also in those places, once you kind of get into the, once everyone can see that's it, you're you're sticking around for a bit. Um, you kind of you get a good little tight knit crew of uh, of you who are the kind of core team there. So yeah, you quickly um, jump up the ranks almost. They, you, yeah, yeah. Once yeah. you once you've been, and I've got some great, you know, I've made some great friends from there. And and that's when I first worked with James, who has kitchen table. He was my sous chef there. He just finished being um, sous chef at Noma, so his um, style was a lot um, was really influenced by that, especially at that time. Um, and James was running the larder, and uh, it was me and James on the larder with uh, uh, a guy named Chris Davis, uh, Rory, and. Charlie. So uh, these are three chefs who have been, you know, Charlie's running a one-star down south now. Uh, Chris is running for the uh, the Limewood, uh, Angela Hartnett's place. And then, and you know, Rory had, uh, Rory went to the weekend and I think he's, but so like mega, you know, like talented guys, really, really into food, really into working at a high level. So there was a really good, um, I guess like the intensity of those kitchens. That's what I enjoyed most. Like yeah. the intensity of like everyone's in it, you know what I mean? Like, like you're in it. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. I get it. You're in the trenches together, effectively, right? Yeah. Comrade, yeah, totally, yeah. It's like going into a battlefield, totally. Yeah. I, I totally get it. And then, for, did you go off to kitchen table from there, or did you go to St. John? Was St. John's? No, I went to St. John's. So, like, after uh, I worked there for almost a couple of years, like just over a year and a half. And then uh, I, we, I used to always be up on a Sunday, so um, me and my missus used to go to St. John Bread and Wine almost every Sunday. We'd have a few plates and a glass of wine, and then we'd like have a walk around Brick Lane and stuff. I remember like having a 
just having like a like a hard week and I was just like knackered. And then I remember like sitting and like eating this really delicious food that I loved and that I used to go and eat every week because I loved it so much. And then looking at the guys in the kitchen and they were all like smiling and happy and like one of them, one of them had the night off and he's like off to the pub with his mates. And I was just like, man, like I should like be cooking here right now, you know? Like I kind of like took what I wanted from that style kitchen, but then that that was the food I really loved eating. And then I thought I should be cooking the food I really love eating right now. And at that time, they were opening their hotel in Chinatown in London. And Billy White, who, you know, Billy, he had worked at St. John. So I think I got in contact with him, said, do you have any ins at St. John still for jobs? Because I knew it was quite hard. People tend to be quite happy when they got uh, a job there. And at the time, I think it was like, I don't know, it was up there in the 50 best. It was like in the top 20 in the 50 best or something. So it was quite difficult to get a job. Um, and he said, yeah, they, they've got the hotel opening. So I, I went and did a trial shift at Bread and Wine um, with uh, John Rotherham, who's got the uh, he's got the Marksman pub in Hackney now. And that's it. And then they, they offered us a job. And then I was part of the opening team at the at the hotel when we opened and what, there. And, and, stayed what, there. and what did you learn there? That's the restaurant I took, I took the most from, I think, in my... Not that I don't necessarily cook. Well, obviously I don't cook that style of food now. And even when I cook kind of more, slightly more posh stuff, I, I think it taught me to like be restrained in what you do. Yeah, don't and add that like extra. Food wise, taught you. Yeah, like every, all of our dishes are two things on a plate there, you know. Um, and it was all in how you cook something, and the technique and the love that you put into it. Um, it's a very like it was a total flip on the cooking side of coming from a very French background. The way St. John cooks food is very Italian. It's lots of slow braises, all the vegetables, like like if you're cooking broad beans, you leave them in the pods and you cook them down for three hours until there's like puree in the middle and just, just holding in that kind of little shell, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it's, so it's very counterintuitive to like how I was taught to cook. And yeah. I found that really interesting because it felt like it's kind of, blowing your mind up a bit like you know everything you knew was wrong or not wrong but this is how we do and it's totally different you know um so i, I, was, I, always, when I, I was always given when i got to... as, a, as a kid like that eh? that's how we get like yeah my mom yeah. was, was never going to shell the broad beans like what the fuck am i going to do yeah. with that do you know what i mean like so we used to just get them but yeah. all right they were under seasoned and and, and and whatnot but we would just get these mushy broad beans which is just the same really do you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, but you come from like, I mean, previously I'd be like taking the shell off a broad bean before I'd even blast yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As green as you could, you know. So yeah. you're like, yeah, yeah, of course. You, you're like freaking out over how green it's going to be, and they're like, no, no, just let it keep going. You're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and then at um, the end of the day, I think that just comes down to, and then it's like, well, taste it. What do you think? How does it taste? Would you enjoy it? Yeah, that? yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what a massive thing with me for like, like breaking down barriers of how I want to cook was was um, when I decided I liked an egg with a crispy bottom, like a fried egg. Like, yeah, yeah. my whole career was like, you're going to fry an egg, you fry it super slowly in a pan. Almost with poaching. butter. Yeah, and you're like basting it in butter constantly. You want no color. And then you cut it out with a fucking ring cutter perfectly and stick it on a plate. And then I was like, but then when I'm at home and I make an egg sandwich, I fry an egg hard in oil because I want to have like that really crispy bottom 
and then like just cook top and a runny yolk, you know? So why don't you fry an egg like that in a restaurant? Because that's what, that's how I like to eat an egg. So why should I cook an egg totally different than how I like to eat an egg? Yeah, exactly. And I think when, 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 when I'm, yeah. And then you don't have to like, and then once you start thinking that way, then you think, well, fucking do whatever I want now. I don't have to like, don't have to follow any of the rules of how, just because someone's told you that's how you got to do that doesn't mean that's how you have to do it. And then you went to sit, then you went to kitchen table. Yeah. And, and, and what, so what we, we like? well, we closed St. John Hotel and ended up closing. It was just quiet. Um, and then we reopened as one Leicester Street and I stayed on um, as a sous chef there and, and opened that with Tom um, and stayed there for six months, I think. Um, but you could see it just, it, again, it, it just wasn't working. It was just the bad area for it. Like the food was very bad location. Yeah, it's one of those ones. It, that's another thing it taught me is the, uh, you can be just on the wrong side of a street, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. the, uh, the foot traffic we had there was immense. But you need to have the right kind of foot traffic, you know. And so, yeah, like, the, the one in Dumplings. I think it was to that foot traffic. They wanted to go to M and M's World and eat at TGI Fridays. It was like, yeah, yeah, tourists and stuff. You know what I mean? It wasn't people, and and the people who wanted to eat. If we, if that restaurant would have been in Soho, I think it would have worked. If it just would have been at the other side of Shaftesbury Avenue, I think it would have been fine. But um, you know, there's not, not much you can do then. Yeah, also, exactly. I think a big thing that I learned at St John is is the way to is how to treat staff and how to treat people. You were treated very, very well there. Like, you you, you, you worked 48 hours a week. You very, very rarely worked over that. Um, you know, the guys that you'd always have a beer at the end of your shift, you'd sit down for half an hour and eat staff food together. You were spoken to nicely. No one yelled. It, it's a more mature kitchen. Like, you, they tended to hire... They wouldn't hire 18-year-old kids fresh out of catering college. They would hire men and women in their in their late 20s and 30s because yeah, they wanted yeah. a mature chef who who you didn't have to scream at to get them to do something, I guess, or, or you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Not that you have to anyway, but, you know, yeah. they wanted... They might, yeah. they might have to pay a bit more for that person, but, uh, yeah, it's less stress all around, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then, then kitchen tables, were you the opening team of that as well, were you, Sean? No? No, no, that no. was... Might have been open a year, even. Okay. Um... It was basically a couple, like the same crew that we cooked on the larder section at Marcus Waring was that kitchen, was going to kitchen table. So it was James was my sous chef at Marcus Waring. He, that, it's his restaurant. Charlie had just come back from Per Se and Rory had just come back from Flavican. Both of them were going to work at kitchen table and I could see one Leicester Street was, was very quiet and, and I just felt like I needed a change, you know. Um, fancy just fancy that they fancy even more so than the food or anything. I just fancied cooking with those guys again. Cause I, I really liked cooking with them. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, yeah, so I got, so I got a job there with James and, um, um, but yeah, really, really fun time. Really good. Um, well, kind of like and it's like a dinner party there almost, you know, we used to do it in two sittings. So you do like 10 people at six and then you seat the other nine at half seven. So it's like very, James isn't like a relaxed guy. He's like uh, he's very precise and exacting on how he likes things done and stuff. But the environment was very like kind of relaxed and casual. Like it's that. very open, isn't it? I bet you feel a bit. You feel yeah. a bit safe with all of. Oh, when once the customers come, get in. You know, you can't be kicking off. Maybe you. Know what I mean, they're like the savior. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd always have to go in the hallway and like let off a bit of steam when he's getting a bit upset. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, if people if if people want to start make you know cooking Mexican food, is there a book out there that you would advise to get the the beginner get to get them going? Anything by Diana Kennedy is very good. She's she's an English um, woman, but um, I think she's in her eighties or probably now. But she was cooking Mexican food and traveling around Mexico a lot a long time before it was trendy to do so um yeah okay and 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 her food and it tends to be very kind of very legit mexican rick bayless is an an american he started cooking probably mexican food in probably the 80s or something and he he owns quite a i think he owns about four or five mexican restaurants of different styles around chicago um and his books are very good and he's, he's he's like he super geeks out on like he's He's very, very well researched, you know. So there's a lot yeah, of work yeah. to take off of him too. I like to ask this, you know, about a lot of chefs that people work with over the years, uh, but it's always the head chef, like you know, Marcus Waring's and these that with the name. But you must have worked with some cracking young chefs. I've, I ask this question all the time because I'm quite fascinated by it as well. Uh-huh. Uh, can you give us a, a few names of a few guys who, mm. who you've worked with who will be out there doing awesome things that, that no one really knows? Tom Anglesey, that you know. Um, he's cooking some absolutely stellar food at a laughing heart in Hackney. There's uh, my mate Charlie Smith. Oh, it's awful. I can't remember the name of his hotel. Is it the hotel, uh, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's um, down the Cotswolds, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the Cotswolds because I was going to go. Uh, it looks there. beautiful. Everything um, he does looks beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It? And he's, just, he's just a stellar cook. I mean, I've put... You know, I'd go as far as to say he's the best cook I've probably seen cook. Like, na- just naturally, unbelievably talented cook. Oh, there's loads, man. I mean, Charlie's little brother, uh, Max, he's he's, live, he's in uh, Sydney. Um, yeah. He's the head chef at Chocho San in Sydney. He's a, you know, great cook. He was my sous chef for a little while. And, uh, there's something, it's just nice to give him a uh, shout out. Do you know what I mean? The people who. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. It's always like the main people, but there's so many lads out there that are doing awesome things as well. We yeah. went and had a, we went and had a, some sake with Max last time we were in Sydney. He's a, he's a top bloke, yeah. and he actually just won his. Oh shit! I hope I get this right. He's just, he, I think he just won his first ju, uh, jiu-jitsu competition very recently. I think oh yeah, won, yeah. I think he won two or three fights in a day to win gold. I hope I hope I haven't fucked that really? up. But it's, yeah. it's something along those lines, and he's re, he's bang into it, which obviously I love. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, yeah. He's um, he's killing that as well. So he's killing it on the food and he's killing it on the jujitsu. It's the same kind of thing. He needs super dedication and it's a slow. He's climb. a super like Max is like Max has a lot of energy, you know. Um, he's got like a lot of energy in his body. He's just like uh, like rearing to go. Like you see him in the kitchen, he's just, like pummeling on, you know. And like so, so he's the kind of guy that like needs lots of things like that, like busy things to do to yeah, like, keep see, kind of like keep your uh, mind going as well. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well fucking yeah. jujitsu will do that. It's like a, it's like food man, it's endless. It's fucking endless yeah. and that, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Anyway, listen, right, let's just finish this off. I want to wrap this up. Um there's a, f- a bit of a quick fire question. Quick fire. I c I've got to, I've got to read these questions so there's no fucking chance it's gonna be yeah. quick. Mezcal or bourbon? It used to be bourbon but mezcal now. Uh, uh, Corona or Carlin? Corona. <laughs> Doritos. I or hate Wal- Carlin though. <laughs> <laughs> Doritos or Walkers? Walkers. 
favorite cookbook? Probably the French Laundry because that's that was the book that made me start cooking. So yeah, I've got a lot like a big soft spot in my heart for that. Love it. Um, best place for Sunday lunch? A split up between the broad chair and the Patricia and Jen. And best meal you've ever eaten? Probably the probably the first time I ate at St John with uh, with Billy White. That was. I remember I ate so much that I actually threw up on the night. <laughs> but at the time, I was loving it. <laughs> what, what, what about the the sixteen pints you drank with it? That would do with them. It, it's not pints there though. It's like once someone works at St John, you you learn from Fergus what to drink with everything. So you like start off with champagne, and then you have this and that. You like you'll have like twenty different kinds of drink. You like Fernand Brancas and Madeiras oh, and fucking hell. like Prud V and fucking. Mixing loads of like pork <laughs> fat, loads of pork fat. Yeah, yeah, loads of pork fat and very strong spirits and, yeah. and French wine. <laughs> and maybe maybe a bit of a boogie, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. See, what, see what happens. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, listen. It did not uh, go well. <laughs> um, well, listen. Good luck with the with the with the new opening. I hope it all goes. This is. I'll, I'll speak to you beforehand. I hope anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, good luck with the opening. And uh, thanks very much for doing the show, and I really appreciate you, brother. No brother. Thanks for having me, man. No brother. I'm going. Good night. I'll speak to you later. I really hope everyone enjoyed the show. If you did, it'd be awesome if you could rate and review on your podcast app to help us get new listeners. Until next time, this is Cooking the Books.